Hello and welcome to Newspeak, the New Culture Forum's look at the weekly news agenda. First of all, a very happy new year to you. This is our first Newspeak of 2024. Um, very pleased, as usual, to have Rafe Hadelmanku, our senior fellow and, of course, historian and royal commentator, and Amy Gallagher, uh, from Stand Up to Woke, and actually uh, something else possibly, actually, yes, isn't that yeah. right? Do you want to tell us what it is? Yeah, so potentially running for mayor for um, the SDP, pending on getting... In seated. London, yes, of course, yes. against Carl. Yes, right? yeah. <laughs> So you might well be standing <laughs> for the SDP uh, in London. Um, why? <laughs> why? I think, I mean, I think Sadiq Khan is just... Um, I think people are absolutely sick of him. I know, I know people have been moaning about Khan for a long time, but I think the, the ULEs and the LTNs, and he's just ramped up the sort of wokery in the last year or so. Um, I think there is, there is a real need to push back against Khan more, more than ever, I think. Um, and this year, the mayoral election is first past the post, which has never been before. Well, why have they changed it? Do you know? No, I don't know, actually. It's an interesting question. It's first past the post just for the mayoralty? Yes, yeah. Right. So, which does mean it might play a bit differently in terms of the vote might be split in a way that it wasn't <clears> before, in <throat> that <throat> other left-leaning candidates, people, if they vote for them, they can't vote for Khan and so on. Right. Um, so there's a few more in, kind of potentially interesting people running for it. I don't know if Jeremy Corbyn will run, but there's an idea that he might, and there's a few other names floating around. Um, George Galloway and then Lawrence Fox, obviously on the different end of the spectrum. But um, yeah, I think there's there's just I think particularly with the by-election in Uxbridge, which most people thought what the Conservatives won, and most people thought the reason for that was because people were so furious at ULES. Yeah, it's become a very very divisive issue, and it is really very much linked to Khan. I think people associate it with Khan. So I think there's that. And I think just generally, people, there's just been a general sense. I think it's, it's been around for a long time, but I think in the, particularly in the last year with the, the riots, the protests, the, the Palestinian-Israel conflict and various other conflicts in the streets of London, that people just feel like London is a completely alien city. And not only is that not being acknowledged, but all the while they're being pushed, you know, diversity is our strength all the time and it's almost just maddening actually people I hear so many people say I don't want to be in London anymore it doesn't there's something about it now it's changed in a way that you know I just don't feel comfortable here but you are a you're a Londoner yes, aren't you yeah. born and bred yes yeah that's right because yeah. you're in Orpington isn't that yeah right but I've always I grew up in New Cross South London area did you grow up in New Cross yeah yeah oh. <laughs> Um, but now I live on the suburbs, but obviously the ULES was expanded into yeah. where I live. So I've seen that impact where I live. Um, but I travel into, I've always worked in London. So as a nurse, I've always traveled into inner city London and I, I've traveled, I've worked in hospitals all around London as well. So I've seen how it's changed. And, you know, even I don't like living in, working in London anymore too much. You're a Londoner, aren't you? Born West London, born and, and bred. Born and bred. Do you think that Khan is just simply a shoe-in. No disrespect to you. Mm-hmm. Well, so the last polling we saw on this a few months ago had Khan at a 25-point lead on everyone else, which was a remarkable thing. And of course, our viewers at home will be thinking, how on earth is it possible yeah. that this man has such a lead when you look at knife crime, when you look at ULEZ, yeah. when you look at all of these different guys, and when you saw that ridiculous fireworks show we had for New Year's Eve, when mm. every single... Um, diversity box was ticked in this uh, 
in this very impressive looking display. I saw it without the order. I saw it from a rooftop. It looked great. Then I watched it on television and my gosh, my heart sank when I saw the messaging behind it. But of course, the reality is that the people that you know, Amy is talking about, the people that are watching are very different from the majority of Londoners mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. And of course, as, I, as I've said many times on this channel and elsewhere, one of the reasons for the Labour Party wanting to have mass immigration was to bring in a demographic mm. who tend to vote Labour. Mm. Ethnic minorities vote 80% Labour. London is now primarily a city where white British are only 37% of the population. And those people who are white British, many of them are young uh, professionals who also tend to vote Labour. Mm. So in terms of its demographics, London is overwhelmingly a Labour city-state. That being said, last, at the last election, Sean Bailey, who was the Conservative candidate, came within a gnat's whisker of winning, of winning that election. And uh, I rather lament the fact that he's not running this time because I think the, if you add together all of the things that we've seen in the last year or, or the last four years, Khan's hold on power is a lot weaker than it was. Mm -hmm. And my fear is that he doesn't have a sufficiently strong candidate running against him. Susan Hall, who's a very charming, lovely lady, is a Tory, isn't necessarily the, the heavyweight that you need to, to bring him down. I'm very curious, Amy, whether you think that this new first-past-the-post scheme is gerrymandering by the mayor's office. Is this going to give him an unfair advantage or will this weaken him? Yeah, I, we've been, I've been thinking about it. It's difficult to say, really. It's difficult to say how many people... Um, will move from Khan to the other left. It depends if Jeremy Corbyn runs. Um, it sounds like George Galloway is going to run. They're both very pro-Palestine. They're both very to the left. It depends how much support they've got, if people would go with them over Khan. Um, it depends. Some people on the left don't like ULES, don't like kind of thing, um, you know, surveillance state, that kind of thing. But I, I, I don't, it, it's difficult to know. I think it can go either way. It's... Um, yeah, and I, again with with Susan Hall, it, it might be. I mean, it, it looks like Lawrence Fox might be running as well. Um, so it, it could it could go against her as well. Because we so. saw the damage done to um, Labour in the by-election re regarding mm. ULES, didn't we? And if anything is going to topple Khan, it will be ULES. Mm. Mm. And that was an insult was added to injury just this week when we saw that the last minute. Um, uh, there was a, the RMT strike for the tube train was yes. halted at the last minute by Khan magically finding money behind the back of the sofa. Yeah. Of course, we know this was money from ULES. Mm -hmm. So the poorest in society have been are, being, are paying for well-paid yes. train yeah. drivers to get even more money and go on another <laughs> holiday. And I think when you realise this is the future of Khan now kowtowing to the youth, because Aslef now wants a 12% pay rise having seen what they've given to the RMT, I think this is the time for Khan to actually take a tumble if he's ever going to do it. Yeah, I mean, magically found 60 million. This is the level of money we're talking about here. And it's it's affecting everyone, these trains. Everybody's just feeling a sense that things don't work, things don't run on time. You know, everything's, it's really difficult being in London. If it's not a protest, it's a train strike. It's very, it's very unusual that everything's just smooth and you can just mm. get, live your life in an you know, ordinary way. But the thing is, despite this, I mean, as you've said, uh, you know, I was in a, a taxi the other day and you t tend to think that black cab drivers are going to kind of be pretty much on our side in, in generally. In but there was one and he was sort of flummoxed when I said that I thought the calm would win. Uh, he said, you've got to be joking. After all this, it's as though people don't quite still know the extent of changes in London, that people vote 
culturally that you know and as you you mentioned the white uh, young professionals they are woke they would vote on a point of principle because of who Khan is more than anything he's done. I mean, for example, you know, he's had this, uh, you know, recently, this situation with the uh, Ukraine and basically, you know, not giving Ukraine these, uh, what is it, non-compliant vehicles. Did you hear about this? No, this was, no. Yes, exactly. He said, we can't, you know, they're not non-compliant. It's extraordinary, right. really. Um, but when you look at the demonstrations we've had over the past two months in London and continuing, you can absolutely see why Khan might be, you know. And I mean, he managed to float over that whole protest period, didn't he? He didn't say yes, anything no, particularly. No, he, he, he came down on kind of, he, was, he, he said something about there should be no uh, hate speech or no Islamophobia or anti-Semitism, made a point of mm. noting both, mm. where it was, it was, of course, primarily anti-Semitism that was the yes. issue as opposed to there wasn't really much Islamophobia as I know or anything expressed um, but he's uh, yeah he's just um, he, he's just I, I just think there's an issue with him being um, just more and more what he keeps teams of doubling down on the message and more knife crime goes up more people are dissatisfied but he knows he can get away with it because with any of the other candidates that are opposing him if they speak to any of these issues like immigration or anti-Semitism, it will alienate a lot of the, the vote in London, as you say. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult to oppose him when you know that he's got the, the, the majority of the people behind him. This but, is the problem, surely, for Susan Hall. Yes, because she that, had to be very careful, I think, with the Palestinian protests. Well, she didn't say anything, Susan, well, did she? She just sort of like said, oh, I think obviously hate speech is terrible in all, all contexts or something. I'd, I'd, I'm not quite sure, but whatever it was, it wasn't stand but how can she if she even wants to get some votes yeah i mean the sad reality is you know ava sort of rather i don't even like saying it but you may have to actually have an ethnic minority candidate as the only likely person who can bring down a labor mayor because of the fact that people do vote based on ethnic and cultural grounds so if you want to have a, a switch away from khan you may need to have somebody uh, who is from another ethnic minority background mm. uh, because certainly i know that you know uh, Indians, for example, are more likely to vote conservative. Um, you know, certain elements of the black community are more likely to vote conservative uh, as a, compared to Muslims and so forth. So there are lots of de de dynamics there. Certainly within the first two generations, people tend to vote on cultural levels. After that, you do tend to see more, more diversity of opinion. It's a, the interesting thing, actually, though, with, the, with that is that even people that you would think, you mentioned Indians are uh, natural conservatives. I remember... David Cameron saying that or something, but it doesn't translate into voting for the Conservatives. It's just—it's almost like the Conservatives are still tarred with this brush of Enoch Powell and, in their view, and and, and therefore uh, anti-immigrant or whatever. Mm. But I think you know, as SDP candidates, or indeed any other uh, smaller party candidate, reform I think are standing Howard Cox. Yes, right? right, got your work cut out, haven't you? Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, you know, I think you're. I mean, obviously, Khan is a Muslim, and obviously, Labour he's left-leaning. But because he's a Muslim, he can sort of 
you know, appear slightly conservative and he's, got, he's religious, so he can kind of sit on both sides. And I think mm. he can appeal to quite a, few, a lot of people that way. But it is very difficult to oppose him. And, um, you know, like you said, the mayoral rule race, it's very much about personality. It's very much about the individual in the way that, obviously all politics is like that, but particularly the mayor, it's being a sort of figurehead. And it mm. is very much about, as you say, race and culture and personality. Mm much more than it is about policies. Um, actually, people vote in very tribally, more so, I think, in London. I'm you, curious to see, sorry, I'm curious mm. to see what happens if Jeremy Corbyn does run, because there's also talk of him forming a, his own political party to really? run in the general election, along with Piddock, is uh, the old Labour MP, this lady who's joining forces also from the radical left wing of the Labour Party. And so if they do set up this new party to run at the election, I'm curious as to whether actually that will prove much of a challenge to the, to the Labour Party. Do you think we should still have a mayor in London? I, well, I, th I think... I think that there's value to having a mayor because, of course, you're, you're able to actually unite, you know, have somebody overseeing and there's, a, there's, a, there's a, uh, an integrated strategies that can be brought into effect. But I don't think that I've seen much impressive work not only from this mayor, but from actually... I think Ken Livingston was the most effective mayor we had, even though I disagree with him fundamentally on many political things. But in terms of the infrastructure of London and so forth, I think there was a benefit to it. Some were under Boris Johnson, or no, not, not as much, but definitely not under Carl. Mm. I mean, to, to, just to say, you know, London is now announced this week as the slowest city in the world with this 20-mile-per-hour um, traffic mm. routine. You know, in every way, he's made lives harder for the average Londoner. Mm. It seems to be going, you know, that, that seems to be intensifying, you know, to, to, it almost seems uh, deliberate, actually. I mean, the war on the car. Oh, yeah, yeah. And ask any cabbie, you know. I mean, I, I moved, London born bred, I moved out, m made a programme for the channel about it. And um, the fact is now, it seems that it's a very, very tough place to be, it's a very tough place to live and exist. Yeah, and to travel, as you say, as this war on cars is in ramping up with LTNs mm. and with ULEs, at the same time, public transport is, there's loads of issues on with the strikes and infrastructure breaking down. So you really have to, before you travel into London, you really have to think about your journey, whether it's possible. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I don't drive, but I've been thinking about London. And then I think, actually, what's the point? Because I, I'm not going to be able to drive much around London anyway. Mm. But then there's the it, transport doesn't, you know, it's very often cancelled or working or delayed. So it's really hard work being in London. You have to really put a lot of thought into <laughs> to just yes, getting about. Yes. Um, when you, when you, I mean, this is coming up in May, isn't mm. it, May? Um, when you look at the general, here we are in January, January the, what is it, the weekend of the 15th? Um, yeah, nearly. I mean, what's the lookout? Do you, does your heart sink politically when you look at this sort of lookout for this year? Or a lot of people in politics are sort of saying this is going to be a dynamic year, right? This is going to be a really interesting year. <laughs> Dynamic for all the wrong reasons, well, yes, I suspect. But I mean, do, do you sort of look and think, <coughs> I cannot see any way in which the situation is going to get better? Well, it's interesting because um, Aris Rusinos, who's a very good writer, and a few others were saying that uh, at, at the New Year mark, that um, 2023 will be the, is the calm before the storm. So if you think, if you thought things were bad in 2023, wait to 2024. On all levels, within Ukraine, with um, Taiwan and China, 
with Israel and Palestine, with the Trump election and so forth. On every level, the, geopolitically at least, the world's going to be even more unstable than, than it is currently as America's hegemony and the American empire shrinks and it becomes more isolationist. And in this country, I don't know, I think it's obviously it's certain that we're going to have a loss for the Tory party, which means we're going to have the election of a Labour party, I think mm -hmm. almost inevitably with a majority. We'll see about that. But that means that we're in for, you know, four or five years of extreme radical politics. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the, the Keir Starmer is doing a very good job at hiding all of this from the public. So we're seeing a very middle of the road, mm -hmm. very palatable Keir Starmer. But we know, for example, he's had private discussions with the Greeks about returning the Elgin marbles and he didn't. He wanted them not to make any of this public until after he was elected. So you just have to wonder what other things has he been, just as we had with Joe Biden, having to appeal to AOC and the, and yeah, the left wing yeah, thing yeah. there. We've seen what's happened in America and I think that's a foretelling of things to come here. Because this is, is it not, this is the first election coming up uh, since, well, COVID and indeed the BLM thing and the whole mm, cultural assault, isn't it? Yeah, lots of I mean, you know, I don't quite know how that will have changed in some ways the result in the long term. But, I mean, when we look at the small parties that we all know very well, do you really think, I mean, I'm sorry, of yes. course you do, otherwise you wouldn't be standing. <laughs> but I mean, well, no, no, because people actually do stand for other reasons too. Mm. But, but, I mean, do you, what kind of impact do you see them having? I don't think this year they'll have all that much impact, but I think what's going to happen this year is I think it's going to be a pretty dire year for politics for those of, for you know people who think as we do this year. I think Labour will get in. I think Khan will probably remain mayor. I think it's almost certain. Uh, almost certain. Yeah. Um, so, but I think maybe what will happen is think we'll have a Labour government, and then maybe by the next election people will be experiencing the consequences of that and then there might be an opportunity for the small parties to gain more yeah, traction yeah. and more so it might be not this election but the next election this mm. might be the one where everybody it's the final straw yes <laughs> i mean if you remember that the last election the smaller parties had more power because you had the yes. brexit you had the brexit mm. party they're not the reform party and the tories um had to compromise and adopt brexit party uh, manifesto platforms in order to secure the election. The only way to eliminate the Brexit Party as a threat was to park their tanks on the Brexit Party's ground. Mm. Uh, I mean, they broke all those pledges as soon as they got into power, but at least there was a, uh, an effort to actually become more right-wing in order to deal with the Brexit threat. The Tories now, of course, aren't going to become the next party, so the Reform Party's ability to in any way influence the next government isn't really there. Well, the Reform Party uh, was, um, what is it? Uh, it's just gone into third place in a couple of polls. Uh, what do you make make of it? I mean, obviously, you've tied your colours to the mast, you know, the STP. What do you think? What do you think of it? Do you think that they are because they they're sort of? It seems to me right, that with reform, they're sort of going to be kind of portrayed as being this hard right party when they're almost like that. There's nothing of the sort hard right about. The Reform Party is not, is not hard right. The thing is, we haven't had a properly right-wing government for so long, people have forgotten what one looks like. And this is actually more of a tradition, 1980s conservative mm. government. Mm. So, you know, that's the Reform Party. It's, it's giving the population what they want. Mm. You know, we know that Tory MPs are to the left of not just Tory voters, but of the average voter on things like immigration mm. and so forth. 
So we, ha we haven't really had a true conservative party. Mm. The Reform Party is much better at reflecting true conservative values. I have some disagreement economically with them. I think they're more of a neoliberal party than a, than a old-fashioned high Tory yeah, party. Yeah. But but you know that, that's always it's always been a broad church on that level. The SDP, I think, actually is in many ways closer to the interests of the public, and it's a great shame that it's not better known about because mm -hmm. the SDP is to the left on economics, like the like the population as a whole, and not as a whole, but the, the public lean to the left economically, and they lean to the right in terms of social issues, and they're more small c conservative when it comes to things like uh, you know tradition patriotism defense and so forth and so um, I think but I think both those parties are, are actually you know are the two bright spots in an otherwise bleak landscape mm -hmm. yes with the STP of course the STP is, is I think got the best immigration policy at the yeah, moment. Yeah, I was going to say, like a, I mean, it's a complete it's, moratorium, isn't it, for a while? Yeah, a complete pause on all immigration for at least five years. So it's, I mean, thinking of them in terms of left and right, it's not always helpful because, in some ways, the SDP are quite hard line on issues like immigration, more so than reform. Um, and they're very, yeah, very anti woke and very culturally conservative. Mm. Um, so they kind of, yeah, it, it's 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 not it's not so easy to think of them as just left and, and right. Um, but it's it's there is a sort of image issue I think with with, with with both of them, but particularly with the SDP because people just think they're sort of old lefties or they don't really know much about them. But actually, there are a lot of aspects of them are, would be very appealing to people if they just understood. So what? it's more about publicity <coughs> and people understanding because um, I think it's a, as Matt Goodwin points out that the combination that Rafe just described sort of economically not too sort of neo not too kind of mm. right but quite you know. Um, to centre-right economically but conservative in every other respect uh, is very mm. appealing to a lot of people. But people just don't know the SDP. They just don't know about them. Well, they don't. I mean, if you're, if you're under a certain age, that's the point. Yeah, I yeah. mean, <clears throat> the SDP in the 1980s were really a thing. I mean, they became solid third party, mm. actually. It wasn't just all creeping up. They were the solid. People were worried about them. The Tories were worried about them because they took seats from either side. Yeah. And they actually did win by-elections or whatever. Um, what's dominating at the moment is, I don't know whether you've taken much interest in it, but this uh, situation with the sub-postmasters, right? And, I mean, I want to ask a question, which I don't know, I think Nigel has been asking. Do you think there should be a blanket pardon for all of these people that have gone through this terrible experience. I do. Well, today, as we film this, the Prime Minister has announced that uh, primary legislation will be enacted oh. in order to actually ensure that um, we don't go through this individual process and that there will be a blanket uh, decision. Um, that's courted some controversy because people, some people are saying, well, yes, the problem is there are a few cases where people actually were genuinely guilty and those people are going to also be caught up in this pardon. But I think so. What you know, the, the old principle mm. of the legal system was better that, uh, that you know twelve guilty men go free than that one guilty man is convicted unfairly. Mm. That's been a standard uh, premise of British law, and I think in this case, when you're talking about you know there were nine hundred and eighty people, I think it was you know I think mm. seven hundred of whom are still alive. Um, I would much rather that they get the compensation that they deserved and that they get the exoneration and the proof because they've had their lives destroyed over twenty years. But how? awful and tragic is it and outrageous that once again it we have a reactive government mm. they've had you know years to come to terms of this there have been panorama documentaries on it there have been statements in the house about this but only when you have an itv drama mm. years after the fact does the government actually take action 
and I think it's outrageous that they haven't apologized for the slowness with which they've dealt with the story. Yes, it was um, what do you think it's shown about Britain actually? I mean, I've seen some columns <clears throat> really sort of saying this has really just shown because many people are calling this the biggest miscarriage of justice mm. in, in, in our judicial history. Mm. Um, it shows just a, a complete sort of sort of miasma of incompetence, doesn't it? And buck passing yeah. and well, rottenness, really. Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, we, our society is obsessed with justice and injustice and virtue and all of these <coughs> things. But I think this, this, uh, this issue really sort of real genuine injustice like a kind of injustice that really destroyed people's lives it wasn't wrapped up with identity or kind of invented subjective grievance I think that's why people responded so strongly to it because I think it was about um, you know the very very powerful wealthy people um, you know uh, b b oppressing the little people and it was about power and wealth and mm. Um, as you say, and I think that's where the real injustices in society are often. Um, that's the real disparity, kind of people with, with money and power and how they do, as, as you say, pass the buck or don't you know, put thing, brush things under the carpet because they can, because they've got power. And I think people really res have, have responded to that because it, it, it is a genuine, real injustice, which I think people see in small ways in their organisations and in the NHS and in various other places yeah. a, a lot of the time that, yeah. that, that people in, with money and wealth get away with things, bankers, politicians, so on. And it's the little people that don't have a voice, Absolutely. particularly if they're white well, and they're middle class and, you know. Well, yes, middle. but uh, at the same time, the point can be made that at the same time as this is going on, we've got the Prince Andrew situation. Which actually shows, oh, sure. which, no, but actually shows that people don't actually, even the highest in the land, don't get away actually with with things. No, but just before we get onto that, I just wanted to come back on this because I think <coughs> I think this is an important point. Um, but there's a there's a broader lesson for the future, which is the 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 degree to which people have become deferential to technology, and they put their mm -hmm. own common sense and their own instincts to the side. And they're willing to go with it, as little Britain used to say, computer says no, right? And this ability mm. to actually disconnect reality, because when you're talking about sub-postmasters, we're talking about the backbone of England. Mm. You know, post offices in local communities are the heart of that community, and the postmasters who run them are those, the most decent part of English stock. And to have the obvious common sense that hundreds of these people suddenly are going to become tea leaves mm. is just absolutely, yes. obviously not the case. And the fact that people were so willing to just disbelieve their own instincts, I think is very scary when you think about how technology is going to play an increasingly important role in our lives, particularly with AI. I mean, we may have many more of these sorts of situations coming around the corner, and it behooves all of us to be more alert to this. But yet, on the point of Prince Andrew, I mean, look, we have to say he is innocent until proven guilty. He's not been charged with anything. He's not been uh, set before a court. But he's been found guilty in the court of public opinion with his ratings now at 8%. Mm. Uh, and I think certainly we are seeing that no one can escape in this era of post Me Too and social media. Even the, even the big titans can fall, at least in the public eye. I mean, we know we haven't seen anyone convicted after the 2008 financial crisis, for example. So, I mean... Yes, mm. good point, actually. Yes. I mean, it, it just seems that <clears throat> people... I don't know whether this is uh, the long-term 
result of a decline in educational standards. Standards, but people seem not to be able to make a judgment anymore, as you say, reliant on technology. No, this is a real problem, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it's also it's a combination of stupidity and petty authority. Yeah, it's it's not real leadership, is it? It's kind no. of a management class that are very bureaucratic and just delegate, and there's no real kind of genuine thinking mm. going on. Mm. I mean, you see that across, I mean, I work in the NHS, you see it all the time, and they just defer to their anti-racist policy, and they don't think about what it means, or they yeah. think you defer to anything, and there's, you know, um, it's a it's a class of people who get paid a very lot of money, usually to be just like that, to not to not think too much and to just go mm. along with what, you know, the, the, what they're told. Yes. And that's why they're able to stay in the position. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't mean to be too Pollyanna-ish here, but it is the beginning of the year. Uh, do you see, in any area that we might discuss, any green shoots of optimism? I mean, you know, I am aware that sometimes, you know, we sit here and we talk about things and it just seems, oh my goodness, you know, slit my wrists and everything. Do, do you, what grounds for hope in the general situation? Well, economic? Foreign, cultural, whatever, do you see? Um, I don't see much on the economic grounds. I mean, look, Rishi Sunak did halve inflation. We have slow growth in the economy, but debt has risen um, last year compared to the year, the year before that. So there's no reason to believe that's going to change. In terms of the cultural wars, there have been some bright spots in 2023, which we can look forward as being green shoots for the future. World athletics and UK athletics both uh, banned uh, trans athletes from participating mm. in women's sports, which is a good thing to see. We also saw woke corporations like Bud Light and Disney getting hammered in their share prices as people basically said, go woke, go broke. So there are, that, those are reasons for optimism. But on the, broader, on the broader picture, the broader spectrum, I can't say that 2024 offers much broad upland and uplands compared to 2023. What about you, Amy? Mm. I think um, I think Elon Musk taking over Twitter has been very interesting in that pushback against certain ideas gains more momentum than it used to. Yeah. I mean, what we're going to come on to talking about with the, with Harvard was an example mm, of that. Yeah. Um, so there's it's easier to kind of contest things and for people to gather around and, and to challenge things. I think um, I think I think Vivek Ramaswamy in America is quite. I, I don't agree with him on everything, but I think he's a very appealing politician, and there does seem to be um, more very, particularly in America, more very intelligent people on the right that are appealing to people that they that wouldn't normally they wouldn't normally have appealed mm. to. Obviously, he's he's Indian and he's he's very bright and he's not he doesn't come across like a necessarily like a traditional Republican. So there is this. The, the left and the right is sort of collapsing, I think, in terms of old stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And there's a kind of new, potentially a new kind of politician coming through a bit that can um, speak to something that's happening in a way that transcends the tribal elements a little yeah, so bit. Yes, they seem to be, I mean, basically the, the Republicans seem to have <coughs> a fair amount of sort of talent on, or shall we say plausible people compared to the Democrats. I mean, when it comes, because this is going to be a big thing, isn't it? And we have to wait until the, almost a year, it's like November, for the election in America. Would you want Trump to win? Would you want Trump to win? 
Well, I don't think there's any other option right now because we know that the Republican Party is Trump's party. And uh, I think the great shame is actually that DeSantis chose to run this time around because all that's going to happen now is that he's going to lose a lot of potential voters for the next election mm. because Trump, of course, will turn hugely against DeSantis and will discredit him as much as he can as he does any competition which means the next time we have an election, it's less likely that DeSantis will have a chance of running for the presidency successfully. I wish he'd held his horses and waited until uh, 2020, 2028 or 29, whenever that will be. But in terms of hope for the future, actually, another, it's another North American country, Canada, that offers some hope. We all know Canada is the you know, capital of woke and the emperor of woke is Trudeau. But what we've seen there, even, even though they've got the most radically left-wing youth as well, even the youth now are turning against the left and are becoming, the poll ratings for the conservatives among the youth there are surprisingly high now. And I think it's because they've seen the reality of years of left-wing government under Trudeau and they see the damage that's been caused and they're turning against him. And I think that should give us some hope here. You know, we, 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 we sort of worry about how long will we have the Labour government given how woke our youth are. There's actually hope there for something in the future. What's the name of the guy, the head, the newish head of the Tory? Pierre Polyvere. That's right, yes. Youngish guy, 30s. Would you welcome a Trump victory this year? Uh, well, I'd prefer him to Biden. Mm. So, so, yeah. I you mean, think I, it is I, going to be Biden and Trump? Yes, I think it will be. I, I, I prefer DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy, but I prefer, definitely prefer Trump to Biden. And mm. I think it will be Trump. And I think he'll win. Mm, yeah. I mean, there are issues, of course, because he's been disqualified from running oh. in some states. Yeah. That has to go through the federal court, still to the Supreme Court, to see whether he'll be allowed to run in those states. We don't know whether he'll be taking, doing his presidential debates from behind bars or not. Mm. So there are still some outstanding issues. Um, one one, one uh, thing that gave me hope, actually, um, you've actually alluded to it already, was seeing those three heads of Ivy League colleges in America. Uh, basically, have all of them resigned now, or just two of them? But they were again up against <coughs> the Congressional Committee, and they basically could not say, could they, that it was against the rules of their universities to actually call for the obliteration of Israel or to be anti-Semitic. And this really shocked people, didn't it? Even worse than that, it was specifically the genocide of Jews. Yes. Can you call for the genocide of Jews? Yes. And their response was to say it depends on the context. Yes. Which I guess those of us who are strongly in favour of free speech may say, well, there's, there's some argument for that. But of course, we know from universities over the past five years that if you ask someone where they're from, that's a microaggression and yes. you've caused trauma and you should be you know, yeah. cancelled and so on. Um, so people just thought, well, hang on, well, what, what, why have they suddenly come out in favour of free speech? And actually, I think, you know, it, it, there was something about it being Jews that people felt was the issue, because if they had been asked, is it OK to call for the genocide of black people or any other group? I think I think most people would suspect they wouldn't yeah, respond yeah, like that or yeah. they would certainly hesitate to respond like that. Yeah. And actually, the ease with which they responded, it yes. was they didn't even look like it was the kind of anguish on their face. They were sorry, they actually looked like they were smiling. They didn't seem to care at all. Mm. And it was quite shocking to see. Mm. And we were seeing the, you know, what's been hidden under the surface of these universities really just come right to the forefront mm. and mm. it was quite shocking you know mm. it was um it was obviously now there were people are saying that because 
one of them. I think it's um, what is the name now? Gay. Well, Claudine Gay. Claudine Gay. Uh, basically, uh, she's the victim of racism now. That was only get, that was a matter of time before that happened. But I mean, to me, I was really pleased to see these people actually, you know, facing the consequences of what of their positions. But in a way, she didn't, and this is what is, is, is exasperating about all this. The reason she left office was because of plagiarism. Mm. It wasn't because, of actually, of what she said there in, in that test, in that hearing. And uh, it's almost as if, you know, that was actually just something to apologize for, not to resign over. Um, and they have to find other reasons to get rid, of, get rid of a person. But it also goes to the bigger issue, of course, of, um, of, 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 of fulfilling diversity quotas and hiring the wrong people for the wrong jobs. This was a woman who clearly, from her academic record, published, I think, two papers in her yeah, life yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be the president of Harvard University, probably the, this top academic job in the world, perhaps, mm. on such a flimsy record, I think is unbelievable. Um, now the shortest, shortest span of any Harvard president, only six months in office. But we've seen it elsewhere in industry and corporations. Um, very quickly, we find out that people put into these positions aren't up to the job and they leave before their term of office expires. And we've yeah. had several cases of this in 2023 and it just drags down society as a whole. I mean, Harvard is a classic case for this. You know, Harvard was sued for racism by, by Asian Americans, by which we mean uh, Oriental, Chinese and Japanese, because they were not getting positions at, Ox at, at Harvard because Harvard was choosing to have African Americans instead, even though they had lower gradings. And of course, what happens as a, as a result of that is you're turning away the brightest minds, mm -hmm. future Nobel Prize winners, people who could actually become future donors to Harvard. And it's almost Harvard is deliberately harming itself <laughs> in yes. order to advance <clears throat> ideology. Yes, exactly. But I mean, that, that in a way, you see, that's one of the reasons I think is, is, is good is that, OK, it was on plagiarism, but either way, it's shown that it was a big diversity hire, doesn't it? That's, that's mm. what it shows. Mm. In fact, that this is it in practice. And you're seeing it with all lights blazing right out there in front of you. And yet even there you see the, <laughs> le the BBC and others turn yes. this, oh, this is an attack on a, on yes. a black woman mm. and so forth. Yes. It's appalling. Yes. And, it? and of all the articles that she did write, which weren't very many, they were all about race and gender. Oh, yeah. And I, I think yeah. it's interesting that the plagiarism, because the, the plagiarism aspect, it goes hand in hand with woke because the whole idea of DII is just repeating mantras, not having your own ideas. It is about copying. It's about mm. saying, you know, sticking to the party line. So from a woke perspective, actually, the more you the more you say what you're supposed to say rather than coming up with anything original, the more you will rise to the top. You know, oh, anybody yes. that says anything yes. different won't. But if you yeah. just copy what you're supposed to. So it's it's just show, it's just revealing that academia is just completely empty now it's, yes, it's rotten. Just, yes, yes yeah. totally rotten. Well, it shows how far you can get with the snake oil salesman routine you know mm. yes. i wish i'd known this 20 years ago i'd be chancellor of oxford university <laughs> by now <laughs> <laughs> on that note actually um if you have any do let us know actually in the comments what you would like to see happen this year try and keep it clean and you know decent um but uh what you would like to see in 2024 um Things can only get better, to coin a phrase, I think. Uh, thank you very, very much, Amy. Thank you, Ray, for that. And uh, we shall see you next time. Please don't forget, of course, uh, in Brighton on January the 23rd. Okay, bye. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission 
May I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you. Thank you.